You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hello and welcome to the Wisden Cricket Weekly Podcast. Just when you thought it couldn't get much worse, eh? West Indies stumped England in the final test of the Richards Botham Trophy to claim the series 1-0 to extend England's recent run to one win in the last 17. We'll be talking about that, the Women's World Cup, Australia's win in Pakistan, the start of the IPL and more. I'm Yazrana and with me to do that in the studio is the editor-in-chief of Wisden Cricket Monthly, Phil Walker, and the managing editor of Wisden.com, Ben Gardner. But first, let's hear Mark Butcher's thoughts on a new low for England this winter. Butch, is a spectacle. What do you think of the series? What did you make of the two sides on show across the three tests? Um, hmm. I mean, the sort of the, the standard of cricket at times was was pretty low, I think. Um, and that's not to say that, that both teams did not uh, put in huge shifts on the, the two flat pitches in Antigua and Barbados. Um, but, you know, you, there was a lack of sort of high quality, genuine fast bowling, um, high quality spin. Um, and, you know, the, 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 the batting probably stokes his assault on, uh, um, in Barbados and uh, Joe Root's two hundreds aside was, you know, was okay. Um, Thankfully, the pitcher in the last one had a, a little bit of something in it for for the bowlers. Although it wasn't, you know, it wasn't a great surface by any means, but um, at least it, it meant that a result was possible. Um, and in the end, uh, as has happened quite often in recent times, when when it came down to it, England kind of fluffed their lines. Um, so you know, it was the series was. I don't think it'd be particularly memorable. I think it'd be memorable for the West Indies. I think, you know, doing the double over England this winter in the, in the T20s and in the, in the Test Series is a, is, a, is a massive fillip for them and for, for cricket in the region. Um, and for England, it leaves, um, you know, yet more questions about the direction of travel. Um, with Red Bull cricket, obviously director of cricket to be decided. Joe Root's um, 
captaincy coming under further further questioning and and you know personnel you know who who exactly are the people from this trip that you would stick with who are the ones you think oh, okay well, we'll draw a line under that um all, all of those questions are still very very much in the in the air um and, and front and center um far from kind of removing any of those questions this trip has only has only made them more and more um more and more relevant I guess one question that's elevated to the top of what people are interested in at the moment is around the future of Joe Root as England Test captain. A long list of former England captains have, have called for Root's time as captain to come to an end. Do, do you agree? And, and if so, I guess the obvious question is then, why would a new captain make a difference if with the attack England have got and the, the, the struggles of England's batsmen for a long time? And there's a stat going around that of uh, a very long list of England batters and all-rounders to debut since 2015... Only Rory Burns averages more than 30, and that's 30.92, I think. So what would a new captain do to change that, if anything? Yeah, I mean, it, it's interesting, isn't it? The, 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 the batting collapses, I mean, the two, in this, the two in this last test match don't even feature in the sort of the list of the, of the greatest hits um, under, under Joe's captaincy. Uh, so so the, the collapse is a, is a feature rather than a bug of the, of the, of the team under him. Um, and so, you know, I'm 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 astounded that he that he still thinks that, um, you know, that he wants to continue. I think that there was a period there on on the what was it the third morning of the game when um, Josh De Silva was batting with the, with the tail, and it just it was just it was really bad. Um, you know, not not sort of usually given to to calling calling out things to that extent on commentary but on both the radio and on the television I was just like this is utterly hopeless um, what's going on out there at the moment nobody seems to have any idea what was going on if you, if you turned up in the ground you didn't know who was the captain of England on that morning you'd, you'd have struggled to, to notice um, you had Dan Lawrence running around the place making suggestions you know the bowlers and fielders not knowing what was going on in terms of the last couple of balls of the over it was yeah, it was just bad, and and we've seen that before in, with England in similar situations um, under Joe's captaincy. So look, I think I honestly think that it is time for time for him to go, um, and I say that reasonably reluctantly because I think he's a he's a terrific bloke, he's a obviously a very very fine batsman, um, but I just think the time has come that when 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 the same things keep occurring to your team, on your watch, even, even given that batting collapses are not his fault. But if they become, if they become a feature of what happens in, in, in your team and under your captaincy, then um, the, time, the time has come for it to change. Um, as, far as, who, as far as who you would give it to, I mean, you know, there's only, there's only a couple of players perhaps in the side at the moment. You would say are, are, are um, uh, 100% picks. Um, Stokes and himself being two. I mean, Johnny Bairstow, perhaps in the, in the light of everything else that goes around, would, would be another. Um, and then, of course, the, the the two fellas that have been left out, um, who who perhaps a line might have been drawn under had they had they both come 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 across pitches like the ones in Barbados and Antigua, um, are now you know the, the clamour for them to return is going to be enormous. Um, under under which circumstance you might say that Stuart Broad is probably. It's probably the guy you say, okay, well, you do it for the next six months, and we'll see how we get on. Um, you know, the, the answer to, the answer as to who makes the who, who then replaces is not an obvious one, but I don't. I, I'm now very much the opinion that I don't think that's a reason not to not to make the change. Mm. Do, do you think it's even possible for a new captain 
to make a difference in how a side bats. Is, is it possible for a captain to influence the mindset of a dressing room in such a way that people actually bat better? Like, is, is that even possible? I, I, I don't. I don't know. I mean, I'm, I think it probably is because at the same time as you as you sort of heap praise upon a upon a, a good captain whose, whose teams don't collapse in a heap and win lots of matches. Um, you know, you could turn around and say, well, as to, as to how much influence is, is the captain having on that or has he just got good players? Um, you know, don't, there's no question at the moment that there is a, there's a massive shortage of, of players with the, with the requisite technique and experience and, um, you know, <laughs> concentration skills or whatever to make, to make big runs on a regular basis for the team. And there's no doubt about that. Um, however, th- this has been going on with with different differing personnel for well back to, since back to 2018 maybe, um, and so to so so whilst you can't lay all of the blame for that at the captain's door, to say that it has nothing to do with the captain is also is also sort of slightly spurious, I think. But then, other than the most obvious answer to this question, can you put your finger on why England are so prone to these collapses? Like. What, what happens in the dressing room when these collapses are happening? From the outside, it, it looks like there's something contagious that, that spreads among the dressing room when one or two wickets fall. Yeah, I mean, and, that, and that's exactly what it is. I mean, having, having been involved in, in dressing rooms where, where, you've, where you've gone through a spate of, of this, this thing happening and, the, and what do you do to address it? Well, first of all, you have to, you have to talk about it um, and you have to admit that there is, there is a massive issue there. Um, but yeah, it, it certainly looks like contagion, doesn't it? It's every time, pretty much either every time the ball moves sideways or every time a couple of wickets go early, particularly one of them being Joe himself, then the whole, um, the whole shooting match tends to come down. And of course, you know, you go back to the first test match in Antigua and England very nearly, in very nearly happened again. And it was, it was stopped by a combination of really good batting for Bairstow. Um, West Indies kind of fluffing their line slightly after the break in terms of the, the choices that they made tactically um, and, a, and a very, very flat pitch. Um, you know, th- those are the three things. But then, in the, as I said, in the game where it really mattered, um, it happened twice, mm. you know, 90 for eight, 100 for eight. And, and you lose the series because of it. And just finally, I wanted to ask you about one individual and that, that Zach Crawley. A, a, lot of, a lot of pundits, a lot of players who've had uh, brilliant international careers are, are really strong in their praise for Crawley. They quite often talk about how he's got a really high ceiling. Um, he's obviously a very good timer of a cricket ball. But you on commentary basically called his dismissal in the second innings as it was happening. You pointed out the technical flaw that that proved his downfall. I've basically been of the opinion, even before his 267, that he just looks like a really good white ball player to me. And the stuff that people say that he can he needs to improve on and that will take him to the next step. Seems at like such a elementary level in someone's game that it, it is perhaps wishful thinking to assume that he can just pick that up whilst playing test cricket. I mean, essentially his weakness is balls that are a good length just outside off stump. You're going to get a lot of them as an opener in test cricket. Yeah, you get a lot of those, yeah. Um, look, again, I, th- I think that for him, it's a case of, a, of addressing that there's an issue because it, it seems it seems enormously boneheaded to me to, to, to keep... To, to stick with the sort of like the, the technique, the, the the positioning in terms of his guard, the the, uh, the the weight balance and all that all that kind of stuff, in the, uh, flying in the face of all evidence that it's killing him at the moment, you know, um, and because there is enormous 
enormous amount of evidence to, su- to suggest that you iron out, you iron that out, and you've got a real player there. Um, and I guess the question, it, it, I mean, it's his game, and at some point, these dismissals and the lack of the lack of consistency is going to cost him his position in the side, and then it comes back to whether or not he, he he's going to make the necessary adjustments to to score consistent runs at that level. And it also depends on the on the patience of the selectors as to go well. How long, you know, we we all think this guy can play, but how long are we going? To, how long are we willing to let this um, go until um, some sort of intervention has to be made? I mean, it was it's been made with with Ollie Pope. He spent the spent the trip um, doing sprints with Ollie Robinson. You know, lapping Ollie Robinson in the in the sp- <laughs> in the sprints at lunchtime. Um, you know, will, will any significant difference? have been made with his game whilst he's been out here for the next time that he gets a go, because, because he will, um, you know, and it's all part of the, the learning curve for, for young players. I mean, so it's it certainly wouldn't write him off, but you also have to go, hang on, come on. You know, this is now, it's, it's so glaringly obvious that, that even an idiot like me can point it out on the television. So <laughs> uh, you, you said it. And then um, finally, uh, quite a few commentators at the moment are putting their hat in the ring for the, for the managing director role, um, you gonna you gonna join him? Well, mate, it would mean I it would mean I have to stop doing this. So, um, <laughs> so never. Yeah, this is this is one that I really hope people are watching on YouTube rather than listening to because Butch's background is quite something at the moment. Anyway, cheers for your time, Butch. Chat to you soon. I will speak soon. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Phil, we'll talk about what West Indies did right in a bit, but they are a side who have only beaten Bangladesh twice, Zimbabwe, Afghanistan and England twice in the last five years. Uh, They're ranked eighth in the world. And for all the talk from the England camp of progress and development, even in the last few days, what are your overall thoughts of how that tour's gone? Uh, As deflating uh, an end point as I can remember, really, in a long, long time, I felt like the Ashes was a paradigm of crapness. Uh, and certainly, I found that on a sort of on a level of being a fan, quite hard to stomach the you know that pathetic wheeze at the end at Hobart was hard to hard to get your head round uh, the shockers at Sydney and Melbourne too um, at certain points. Um, but this feels more abject because uh, Australia are formidable um, against everybody really at home when all their players are fit. But this is a different proposition. Um, there was a sense that Root was playing his final final hand, really, um, and he made some big, radical decisions before the start of the tour, and he he must have known that his captaincy future would be predicated on how this this tour went. Um, it is not completely unfair to say that there were one or two uh, shafts of light through the first two games, although ultimately quite dispiriting because there was a toothlessness to England at crucial moments um, in both of those first test matches. Uh, The collapse, the day three collapse at Grenada will go down in in legend, really, of English cricket in the 21st century. Um, 
They are now bottom of the World Test Championship. They are playing uh, cricket with a complete um, absence of of faith, self-belief. And I've been in this job since 2004. uh, And... This is the worst England uh, side I think I've seen since since then, and predating, going back into the the late part of the nineties when you know things were structurally shambolic and in terms of personnel uh, pretty grim as well. I can't remember seeing a, an England Test side as devoid of uh, of hope um, and gnarliness as well. How 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 some some individuals who do have talent, they value their wicket about as much as as a twenty p piece in their pocket, um, and, and and it's very very it's very difficult to continue to try and present a rational case for some of these these players uh, when it feels like there is a kind of collective collective collapse that permeates through the whole thing. Yeah, I think it's interesting you say that this is the worst England team that you've seen since two thousand four and perhaps even earlier. Not that long ago, England were on a really good run, Ben. They went four series, uh, they won four series in a row, became the first away side to win a test in India in nearly half a decade. There are obviously problems with the talent pool, but in that last year, England they had the two best openers in the county game who were doing okay in test cricket, but not spectacularly. They're out of the scene at the moment. The two great young batting hopes of English cricket have been deemed unselectable at one point or another. This isn't, this is a team that not that long ago was doing just about okay. They are playing well below the level that they're capable of. It's not as simple as these players just aren't good enough. It's these players might be good enough, but they are performing so much below, particularly the batters, what they should be doing in Test cricket. Yeah, it, it, I mean, there's there is so much wrong with what's going on, um, and they are just completely devoid of any sort of like confidence or ability to to to, to bat through a tricky period on a, in tricky conditions, basically. Uh, and that especially showed in the identity of, I think, who caused England the trouble in that game, which was Carl Mayers. He was p- picked to strengthen West Indies batting and ends up taking eight wickets in the game, bowling. And it's it, there's a sort of a cruel irony in the whole thing that, you know, England have criticised, Joe Roots criticised county cricket so harshly for not preparing uh, the, their, <laughs> the England's batters for the challenge of test cricket. And this was as county cricket a bowler as they could hope to face on a pretty county cricket sort of wicket with a, where it was, uh, it was nipping about a little bit and he was bowling accurately but at, at no pace at all and they just had no they, they, they shouldn't have any like but you know Ben Stokes sort of smashing one back on that first morning almost sums it up I suppose with that uh, just a lot of them are just ready to try and hit their way out of a period like that rather than, than to block out of it. and you saw like you know Alex Lee's kind of fair play to him gets two thirty odds and digs in for a bit, and that's like you know it's not something to shout about, but like it also shows that surviving for a period of time, even for the batter who is you know from a talent point of view the most limited in that top six, that it wasn't impossible, but it wasn't the the willingness to do that. And then you saw that also with Leach and Mahmood on that on that first day as well. I mean that's the thing as well is that like it's not just you know two hundred plays two ninety plays one twenty all out lose by ten wickets. It's not just that it's that it's how it played out that England lost if you know if it had been Seals or Roach they'd taken it there would have at least been some solace that England had been undone by a very good bowler on a tricky wicket it was truly shocking this time round it's very rare to see even a, a barely mediocre 
Red Bull cricket team fail so spectacularly both times. Normally you get some kind of ultimately pointless rear guard in the third innings or in the fourth innings uh, when you're trying to redo some of the mess that you've, you've made in the first innings. Uh, England compounded what they'd, what they'd served up on that first morning. I mean, as you say, they were, they were 114 for nine I think. I mean, Joe's not here because he's got COVID, but he said on WhatsApp that if it wasn't for that Saqib and Leach partnership on the first day, you we were talking all-timer. all-time It's worst. an all-timer. Yeah. yeah. And the thing is, in the end, that will be remembered as well. Now, England lost... Uh, was it at Mel- Yeah, England lost at Melbourne, conceding 260, and they lost by an innings. <laughs> in this game, they've lost by 10 wickets, and their 10th wicket partnership is responsible for half of their first innings runs. So, you I mean, put it like that. <laughs> riddle me that. I'm upset, by the way. I can tell. I'm genuinely upset. One thing as well, I, I think there's part of it is that because of because of how abject England have been over a period of time, that they don't. It's not just they don't trust themselves to get through a tricky period. I think they don't trust the rest of the batting lineup as well. I mean, you look at Lee's. By the time he gets to thirty, England are four down and six down. Like there's there's no there's no way to to build a long innings because by the time you've got yourself set, if you are trying to take your time, the rest of the team are back in the hut because they're not playing properly. So you think, well, well, if no one else is doing it, why should I? And also, even if I do block it, by the time you know I've, I've got to any sort of start, then it'll, like I'll be having to hit out with the tail at that point anyway. You know, like it all kind of feeds back onto itself. I think, and so. it's probably just worth going through that second innings and you also I've got bear in mind right I was watching it but I was also getting ready for a a Saturday night I had a party I've just moved house had a housewarming party and I was feeling quite chipper I was cooking some some you know decent food and getting getting the drinks already and then there was this embarrassment taking place in the corner of my front room and there was a there was a sort of morbid fascination and people were turning up at the party and we were seeing the last rites play out and if you run through it it's a real it's one for the ages. It's a catalogue of shit, right? From the Zach Crawley, you two went away to West Indies, and I, I sent you a message as you went. Just remember, Zach Crawley can bat. He just made that hundred. He can bat, but he hasn't learned to bat. This is the this is the frustration with him. He can bat. You see that how crisply he can hit a cricket ball, but he hasn't learned to bat. You saw that when a ball goes soft after 40 overs, then it becomes very much more easy to score runs. You saw it with England's 10 and Jack. And you saw it obviously with De Silva, who played brilliantly, and we'll come to that later. But Crawley goes out there. He hits, it's one straight back at the bowler that he has to get out of the way of in the air, could have been caught. Then he throws one through extra cover and then nicks off two or three yeah, balls. One over extra cover and he's nearly caught. Sorry, cover yeah, both over innings. extra cover as well. Oh, yeah. yeah. And now you see that on a Saturday afternoon, you know, in some provincial cricket match, you see that someone chancing their arm. And you know they're going to be there for a good time, not a long time. The, the whole nature of that game showed that you have to eschew the drive early doors, obviously. The ball goes soft, it stops it stop swinging, etc., etc. It was staring everybody in the face in that second innings. Um, Alex Lees has done okay if the new okay is scrapping to 30-odd. And he obviously, you know... He adapted reasonably well to the, to the situation. He doesn't have many shots, but that's not necessarily a problem. Um, I wouldn't say he's net good over all the three test matches, but he didn't disgrace himself. Um, two of your stroke makers at four and five, both out leaving the ball. I mean, it's talk about sort of scrambled minds. And it, it felt like the way that those two went was the, 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 the kind of the, the motif 
right, of, of this collapse. Joe goes in there at three, plays a shot that would disgrace him as a 10-year-old against, a, you know, an easy medium pacer swinging it outside off stump, and no feet, throws his hands at it, caught second slip. Mayers gets him out twice in the same game. Can't, can't face him. It reminded me of when Ga- David Gower talks about Tim Lamb, the mid- North Ends medium pacer, could never lay a bat on Tim Lamb. So you're five down. Then, of course, you've got your comedy run out as well. You've got oh, your comedy was, that, run out. That was the lowest moment. Of the I say comedy, not comedy. It's dark. It's black. It's vicious. And again, Ben Folks, he's coming to the side. He's looked a little bit shaky, let's be honest. No, he's had a, a really he's, bad series. He looks fallible and all the rest of it. Really bad series. All the rest of it. Sorry, it's my new verbal tick. Every time I say it, get rid of it. Uh, so it had every single attribute of the the end of days collapse. Uh, I've been uh, supporting Root as captain out of pragmatism and because I think in general the captaincy role is fetishized, overplayed, overhyped a little bit um, and it, it, he's not constantly picking the wrong team. He's just making do ish with a, a peculiarly inexplicably humdrum period for english red bull cricket uh, and we all have our theories because of that but now that was your that was your 4-0 at home defeat right you know that was that was it and i'm afraid after a bit of a bit of reflection um i imagine that he will probably come out and, and say something i know that he's already said that he wants to stay I can't imagine that that's realistic. I'd be very surprised if he's still in charge in two months' time. So I guess there are two things to the Ruth captaincy. It's one, England keep collapsing the bat and the manner of the collapses are quite similar, but it's also the lack of imagination in the field at certain points of the game, letting the game drift. Obviously, England are losing that game regardless of what they do in the field, given how they batted. But taking over two hours to dismiss the last two West Indian uh, tail-enders on that third morning was the beginning of the end, really. That that was pretty painful. Not change, Wokes bowling, uh, best part of an hour uh, at the start of that day, not really creating a single chance. Um, that was the big, the beginning of the end, really. And, and going on something that, Phil, you said at the beginning of the show, when the decision was made not to pick Braun and Anderson at the start of the, the tour, um, Phil, you said that Root would have known that his captaincy on the line in making that decision. I think some of the anger towards Root at the moment is actually some of the stuff he's been saying after the game. Like it was just purely delusional from from both him and, and the coaching staff talking about positives. Mark well, Jaskoffic said after day three, let's not look too much into one bad day. But that, that, that's, you know, that's the 25th bad day of the winter. Yeah, I mean, first of all, this this test has been two bad days. I mean, the first day was also bad. Um, so, uh, and then there was a stat that I, saw, that I put, put up yesterday that um, England have had... Uh, three tests since the start of last year where no one, no batter across the whole team has made a half century. And that had only happened in one of once in 16 years prior to 2021. So it's, it's not, obviously it's not one bad day. It's a ridiculous thing to say. And, and, you know, what, what, what can Scott say is, is, is he is there as sort of like a party temporary coach where no one's really sure of their place going to go out there and lay into the team. I mean, that's what obviously the media want and the fans want It's bang blood, but they, they do have a bit of protection to do. I thought what was interesting with Roots, uh, post-match quotes was him specifically crediting the attitude which almost made it feel like like that almost felt a bit of like a veiled thing about Broad and Anderson that was like part of the sort of the the perhaps the, the thinking behind it was that these two have been a bit disruptive Root saying you know we've made great strides in our attitude uh, whatever that means 
the only thing that kind of can mean is that you know that the absence of those two in a way has has, has prompted that which is a which is an interesting one um so yeah i mean i mean i'd echo phil in thinking that root should go but i don't think it's inevitable that he will still like i think that you know obviously obviously there'll be a new coach coming as much as collie is throwing his hat into the ring to take on the full-time job i don't think that's going to happen um and when a new coach comes in they will like i guess presumably clean shop in terms of uh coaching staff and then it will be a bit of a blank slate and it might be that they look at it and think like that that will give the chance for root i mean obviously root is not in a strong position at all but that that new coach will have the chance to pick someone in a way rather than it being it's gone on for so long with root under someone like that I'm not saying that would be the right thing to do, but I can see a path to that happening, which I think would yeah, be a mistake. Okay. And, and, and I do understand that. Um, and after a, a few days grace, after what we've just seen, uh, the extraordinary nature of the times with the ECB in total disarray, <laughs> with no head coach, no boss, and a chief exec who's you know halfway out the door and being shoved as well from behind. And all of that amounts to... Uh, extraordinary unknown circumstances really and so into that there is the possibility that Root in the absence of any other feasible options somehow holds on into the start of the summer but under any normal circumstances with these numbers then we, we shake hands we thank him for his service he's he's done 64 I had a look this morning 64 test matches more test matches than any other England captain in history, more wins than any other England captain in history, and more defeats than any other captain in history. At least it's worth watching, folks. <laughs> if nothing else, it'll be it from behind the sofa. But uh, yeah, I can understand where you're coming from. But I don't necessarily think it is a done deal. But when every single opinion maker of note, not who just sits around the room at the Oval like us, right? Atherton, Hussein, all Horn, the big boys, that is- and Atherton went in hard on him after the Ashes as well. He said he'd got to go. Um, I thought he said something slightly curious that he, he, he baffled that Root felt that like he had the right to carry on. I don't think Root is necessarily sitting on his velvet throne in the dressing room. I think there is a, a strong sense of duty with Root. Uh, it doesn't look like he's especially enjoying the job, but I, but I do think he probably looks at it and there's an element of thinking, well, I do need to do it because who else can do it? Uh, bizarrely, I was thinking about Root clinging on to the captaincy uh, in uh, kind of juxtaposition with Ash Barty's retirement from tennis. Because Ash Barty plays a solo sport. She's done what she has to achieve. And she thinks, it's right for me to to, to quit because I've done what I wanted to do in the game. Whereas Root, I, I honestly don't think he really wants to do it, but feels like his obligation. How many players in this England team can you confidently say will start the summer? There aren't that many. No. There were very few captaincy um alternatives. I mean I guess we should we should go on to that. I mean well, Stokes I, so you go just say because you're about to mention Stokes and that that's one of the other things that makes these times unusual is that normally when an England captain's position was this precarious, there would be movements from behind the scenes from those under him in the dressing room, sort of like jockeying for position, uh, a bit of whispers and that sort of thing. But that won't come at all from Stokes basically because of how intensely loyal and specifically intensely loyal to Root he is like um he I don't think has any ambition I mean he might like if, if Root were not England captain he might well have ambitions to take on the role and to give it a good go but I don't think he has any desire to be seen as sort of usurping Root from that position 
And, and in, in, in an ideal world, he wouldn't want it, right? In an ideal world, he might end up being persuaded to take it, uh, but it will take all the arts of persuasion by wh- whichever Mark is put in place to try and make these decisions at some point. Uh, the, the, if we're going to run through, should we run through well, the I options? just want to ask on, sure. on, on Stokes. Isn't isn't he kind of tottenish by association? If this was a football club, isn't it like sacking on achieving football manager and then appointing the assistant? I mean, England uh, have these stroke makers who are underperforming. Stokes is one of those players. What, why would you expect anything different, at least with the bat with Stokes in charge? Also part of the selection committee as well and, and won't be overriding Joe Root, but it's a very kind of collegiate approach, you know, and they obviously know each other inside out. So they will be... Uh, collaborating on decisions for sure. I scrawled some some angry nonsense down on a page this morning as we were coming in here, and and that was one of the one of the points I made about Stokes that uh, it's it's not unreasonable to to see that he is indelibly a part of this era as well, you know. And, and I don't think that's unfair to 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 put that against him. Stokes is the populist pick. Uh, would you agree with that? Yeah, I mean. It- and the most easily rationalised, in that he's the only other person properly sure of their place in the eleven. Yeah, literally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's the most likely to be asked to do it. Um, the towering problem is that he doesn't need it or want it. He's already an immortal cricketer. He's already a multi-multi millionaire. Um, he's also not that long out of a you know a break to manage his right. mental health, and is one of cricket, England's most yeah like heavily workload players in all so look, formats. Pros column, authority, competitive instincts, he will assume respect straight away. No shit's given. He dropped broad in a in a prescient uh, precursor. He dropped broad. The, the one and only test match that, it, that he did, Stokes, lost it, of course. Lost Pro, it at home. To pros dropped broad, cons but, lost, dropped broad. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, cons, you've got to live it and breathe it every single day. Um Will Will Stokes want that extra responsibility? As Ben says, um, he has mark, part, he's taken on a very sort of singular journey, if you like, Stokes. Um, and uh, for six months last year, he wasn't he wasn't even involved in the setup. He hit the wall. He hit the burnout wall, um, and he is. He carries this this background. He was close to destroying everything, you know, as as we know, and and managed to turn his career around. He also has uh, literally a TV film crew following around every day for his upcoming no holds barred uh, reveal all Amazon or Netflix documentary or whatever it's going to be. Do you, does the England Test captain need or require all of this stuff as well? <sighs> None of it is persuasive. None of it is convincing. There are no candidates out there that that we can, with confidence, say that is a legitimate other alternative. Well, I think the thing is, so, so one thing on Stokes, I would say, and this is why also I can see the path to root remaining as well, is that there's only so much that we can know and it will depend on who comes in having that conversation with Stokes and finding a way to have that conversation, divorcing it from his loyalty to Root, if you can sort of say, imagine Root's just not there, like, how do you feel about it sort of thing? You're, you're right. Obviously, there's no appealing option. If there were an appealing option, Root would have been gone, you know, a, a long time ago. Um, but it's about who is the least bad option. And until this tour, I would say that has been Joe Root. And it's now 
like I think feels like that's no longer the case and that just anyone else is the least bad option and I guess who, who are the other like Stokes Stokes is the is the most realistic and plausible should we go through them in in kind of le- levels of realism uh I think after Stokes the next one is is probably broad I think if a new coach comes in I know that's going to be quite interesting after he's just been dropped. But I think really, well, it will make a good is... copy when he drops root after <laughs> the second test match of the summer. That, that will that will be good fun at least. But two two things I'd like about Broad, uh, he would be writing fewer Daily Mail columns, uh, very angry at the decisions of the captain because he would be the captain. <laughs> He'll sleep uh, better. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, and I, I think there could also be if if Broad is not going to play every test match, that could help because part of the issue with this is the sort of the mystic role of the England Test captain and how sort of mythic and overarching that thing has to be. If you have a captain who is just by definition not going to play every game and he has to have, you know, a close relationship with the vice who comes in for a bit or it, like it just moves around a little bit, perhaps... You're painting that as a positive thing. Well, I, I think you need to demystify it a little bit, don't you? Like Because th- that's part of yeah, the reason but, but why not, the decision... Not to, m- to the extent that the person who is normally the captain half the time isn't actually playing. And so then you have this peculiar power vacuum where the, the vice captain, who might that be? Jimmy? But but could you not? Could you who, not who, who might the vice captain be? Who knows? And and so so and what happens if if Broad is struggling when he's on the park as a skipper, and then the vice captain is doing okay? The, the, the whole thing—it's kind of unheard of, really, to have a non-playing official Test match captain. It's unheard of. It works in the other formats, right? Like it's no—it's no big issue when Owen Morgan misses a one-day international or a T20I series. Or but two he's and, not going to any important game. He's, he's going to be the captain. Sure, but but like they're they're important. Broad, broad would presumably play any important game as well that he's fit for. Right. Okay. So on on the broad thing, they've got ten Test matches from May to the end of October, start of November. We don't know the exact dates of the Pakistan tour, but basically it will be ten Test matches in about seven or eight months. Um three of which are in Pakistan. Now, Broad, massively debatable whether he gets in that squad, let alone in that first 11, it, it, in Pakistan conditions. We've just seen what it's like in Pakistan. Uh, hopefully we can come to that because that's actually really worth talking about. Anyway, it, it's very debatable whether Broad gets in that 16, let alone in that 11. Plus, as you say, it's unrealistic to think that Broad, who will be a month shy of his 30th, 36th birthday, come that first test match in May, will be playing every game. Uh, and so, do you give it to a bloke who is in and out the side, uh, who is the best part of 36 years old, who is a bowler, who clearly relations with their best two players, or their most complete two players in Root and Stokes, relations are not quite tickety-boo. Uh, do we do we really go down that road? Do we give it to Broad because he has the experience, the self-regard, um, the as Andrew Miller put it in WCM, the necessary arsiness to take the job on. Do we give it to him? There is just about a case to be made, for sure. But my word, it's a flimsy one, isn't it? I, don't, get, don't get me wrong. I completely They're agree. All They're, They're all they flimsy. They are all flimsy. But So sure. I, I think, so I mean, a few weeks ago, I was criticising Broad for what he's writing about uh, and the implications in what he's writing when he got dropped from the squad. Um, but... What do England need right now? They need someone with more imagination in the field and someone uh, with the authority to stand up and 
force some kind of culture change in, in how England go about batting. I know Broad as a bowler might not have a leg to stand on in that, but he's one of two players involved in English cricket who are a part of a successful side. I can't see anyone else doing that, basically. I think Stokes is guilty by association with the current era. And then all the names that we will come on to from the county game that come in, like either a Sam Billings or a Tom Abel, it's like, what... The- there is so little there to suggest that they they would do the job. You know, that first of all, they don't they don't at all get in the side on merit. Maybe maybe Billings, but Abel definitely doesn't. And then uh, and then who are you left with? You can't like who else is there? And also, uh, these guys are captains of successful county sides in some cases. But I there's not been a huge. People are often equating that with being like you know hugely engaging, sort of invigorating captains, which I don't think either of what. Abel or Vince or Will Rhodes. Oh, I mean, there's things like all of them, but it's not as if there's like a, a Mike Brearley waiting in the Shires who can come in and like add loads of value as a captain. Most of their value comes because they are just not in the team and not associated with the setup and like have some sort of record behind them. But I don't think people are looking at these guys being like, wow, this is a captain who is adding absolutely loads of value. Not, not, not to denigrate them or anything. And, and, and there's, there's I'd like a, I've talked to him, Abel. I, I, I like him, I like him quite a lot. And you know, there's lots Share of about, birthday about with Vince. Him. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, li- literally. Yeah. Um, and uh, uh, yeah, Billings also like, like ni- nice, likable bloke, but so like, and I'm not saying any of them are completely out of, you know, the realm of possibility if you know, <laughs> but they're not going to invigorate the team in the way that some other past England captains have one name, by the way, and there are reasons for it, but he just never gets spoken about, even though after, probably after Stokes and Root, he is the most likely to keep his place is Johnny Bairstow. You know, he's now played 80 odd test matches, uh, is, you know, not firmly in either of those two camps, really. I mean, he has absolutely no captaincy experiences, uh, no captaincy experience. Um, you know, it's, 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 it's just strange that he doesn't get talked about at all. He's, he's also, one thing about Bersu is he is, I don't think people realise how popular he is with England's fans. Uh, like he does, so I was out for dinner when we were in Barbados. Did I tell you you went to Barbados, Phil? Um, uh, and uh, I was talking to some of my, some family I had who were out there, who were at the test match, but just in the, in the crowd. And they like just loved Bearstow just for how much he was just like, you know, interacting with them on the boundary, chatting to people, doing like silly dances and that I'll sort give of you thing. the job then. No, no, I'm not, but I'm not saying that, but, but that in some ways I think that would be a popular disappointment as well. And I think because of sort of, you'd see that he's like, he's a slight outsider in that dressing room. At least, at least he's not Root's deputy in the way that Butler and Stokes are. And he's not, you know, that in that broad Nanderson axis kind of thing uh, that that can sort of lead I think there's a difference in perception of him among England's fans versus among the uh, the dressing room and the media. But I can like it's just interesting that he's not talking about. It, it I'm, is, I'm not touting him. No, no, a- it is. It is. You have a player who is who is a world star, well travelled, a World Cup winner, eighty Test matches, back in his best form as well. And I mean, it's only a conversation in the context of it not being a conversation. Hmm. Um, but we just leave it there. Yeah. Because you know Johnny Johnny. Bairstow moves on it to his own tune. Um, you know, it's it's really a rousing thing that he's he's back in the side and he's doing okay and that's great. Um, but he's he's not ever really been considered to be captaincy material, whatever that means these days. Um, the other the other JB is Joss Butler, right now. And you laugh. I'm not laughing. I'm smiling. You did. I'm you no, laugh. I'm, no, no, you I'm laugh. smiling. There's a difference. So, <laughs> look, Joss Joss Butler, a probably doesn't want it, B, may not be up to it. But that seems to be the case with most of them. <laughs> um, I, I had a look at 
Butler's record compared to Bearstow's this morning um, with the bat uh, since the start of 2020. Um, similar sample size. I think one's played 14 tests, the other's played 16 tests. Bearstow averages 33 and a half. Butler averages 32 and a half. Butler would have been batting slightly further down the order and would have had gloves. Um, so next to no difference between the two of them. Across their overall career, Butler averages 32. Bearstow averages 34. Again, Butler would have been batting further down the order and keeping more than Bearstow. Um, what we've seen with Ben Folks is interesting. Um, what we've seen is what people who watch lots and lots of cricket know, that no wicketkeeper is infallible. No wicketkeeper is foolproof. People drop catches, whether you've got gloves on or not. Um, and we have seen, especially with the run out, that it's not quite worked out for Ben Folks just yet. And I'm not saying that you jettison him necessarily by any means uh however if we are thinking that this is year dot that you can't get any weirder it can't get any worse then you look around that selection of players that that inner sanctum of players and joss butler uh is as respected a figure intellectually um as a reader of cricket matches uh as anyone else in that setup apart from owen morgan he is the heir apparent to owen morgan in the white ball stuff which may throw this point out anyway sure and maybe we do protect what we're good at and <laughs> maybe that's fair maybe that is fair um but butler's story um it seems like people have just put a big black line through him because he had a bad ashes um uh and on the ashes thing there are certain caveats with butler i mean he played two or three awful shots where it looked like he was done in the mind but he also batted all day or the nearest part of all day and was an hour away from saving that test match that second test match and he, and he played quite well 2020 year, the year 2020 was it 2021 2020 was he had he had a great year you know england's player of the year and he only made runs and it looked like he'd found the right the alchemy if you like and that well, first year back, 2018 as well, was when he played He, he did okay as a sort of weird knock, specialist like, number seven or eight. Yeah. It, was, it was odd, but looked it like he'd then. found the right kind of tempo, the right kind of balance. Um, what we saw in the Ashes was a reversion to confused Butler. Uh, and maybe that is the end point of his career. Maybe what I'm saying here is such nonsense that you may as well just edit the whole thing. I don't know. No, I'm just, but I'm just looking forward to the comments. If he'd had an okay Ashes and he'd kept his place uh or even if we just take this back to six months ago right um you know root breaks a leg or he's just had enough after 50 games and he says i'm, I'm done and stokes says i don't i've got no ambition to do it then butler is the next person in line isn't he he's absolutely in that in that weird you know nether world of six months ago butler is the is the next person in that conversation uh a bad ashes and now He's only ever referred to in the past tense. I don't know if that's if that's necessarily the end point of of his story in Test cricket. He's thirty he's thirty one years old. He's done okay in his Test career. It's interesting. I mean, Ben, you made the point during the Ashes series quite a lot that people exaggerate how tough a time Butler's had in Test cricket. I think I'd say two things. One, again, like Stokes, I think tarnished by association um, with this mini era of English cricket. Uh, and also, I do kind of buy the Mark Rambrakash line that he wrote in the Garden in the Ashes, but I don't think Butler has ever really learnt the tempo to bat in Test cricket and he's kind of got by because of his immense talent. And if he's never quite grasped that as a batter and you've got a failing batting unit, I don't think he's the right person. 
I know we're talking about a lot of floor candidates, yeah. but I do think he is slightly more flawed than most of the people we've talked about. Yeah, sure. And and that Ramps column was excellent um, and persuasive and fe- felt like it was the final point on him. Um, Ramprakash, incidentally, new WCM columnist uh, from next month onwards. Um, he's, he's had a good few months as Ramps, uh, to say the least. So that was a very persuasive column and it was it was founded in hard hard-nosed technical analysis, absolutely. But it's interesting that we are now getting excited about what Josh but- uh, Johnny Bairstow brings to the test team for the next year or so, and their records are very, very similar, almost indecipherable. Uh, so perception goes a long way here. Um, and look, I don't I mean, uh, what, one word from each of you. Henry asks, what, what is, who is the least laughable option for the next England captain? Burns. Who, would you go Burns? The least laughable from from the county setup. Mm. Sorry, so this is outside of the ones we discussed so far. No, no, no. Oh well, the right. least laughable, and I think the the most. I think I would say that Stokes is slightly more likely to be in captain that first test summer than Root is, just about. So I think that that's that's the most likely thing. I think, mm. um, and it's not, it's not it's what they're not, asking. It's not laughable. It's a yeah, but the least laughable outside of the obvious candidates that we've spoken about. Well, Yaz no, said it wasn't think, outside the obvious. But, but, but we, oh, was he not? Yeah. Sorry. We, we can run through some other not laughable candidates, as Phil says, Burns. I mean, in that Butler six months ago, weird time space, uh, Burns would also have been in that conversation, I think. Say, say it's, you know, before that series against India, when, you know, Root is, England have lost their first series at home since whenever. Uh, Root still struggling at home at that point in time. Burns has just got 100 that that also becomes a, a a conversation, and I guess we'll see what happens if he reels off two or three tons in the first seven games. It would not be surprised to see him back in the team, mm. uh, and like I don't I don't think they're going to make him captain for that first game. But if there's a sort of stopgap, and he then has, I mean, you you know, sure, any guy makes six hundreds in a the summer, then they're going to be an England captain candidate at this point. Um, um there's there's an added poignancy, I suppose, to this, or maybe just like a sort of real deep frustration that Joe Root, as you allude to, for three years he didn't make a hundred in home conditions. It was averaging barely 32 or something in home conditions. This is the great Joe Root. And then he finally cracks it. And then he scores literally double the number of runs last year or the amount of runs last year to anyone else in the world. Gets back to basically top rank. Makes two hundreds in two test matches back to back in West Indies. Carrying on from what he did last year. And we're talking about him in terms of what a what a failure he, he is, you know, in inverted commas. Um, and that's the real frustration because often a captain can't balance the two jobs. Often you expect to trade off the glory of being the boss against the average that, that, that you present with the bat. In this instance, he'd flipped it. He was playing better than ever before. And yet still we're sitting around here with good reason. But we're talking about him in, in terms of what he's failed to do. And that feels especially harsh at the moment. Yeah. Uh, other other candidates. Like, I mean, Zach Crawley has in the past been no discussed way. the future England captain. <laughs> no uh, and, way. And, but, but the thing is, like, he he is the most sort of like, you know, I can fix him of any of England's cricketers. You know, where a new coach will come in and see what Zach Crawley can do in the nets and how lovely he looks and thinks like this is the guy to pin the generation around. Why not make him captain? I'm not. I'm not saying that would be a good thing. But I'm just saying, how how are there realistic paths to these things? Uh, who else has been discussed? Tim Delisle in The Guardian suggested Owen Morgan but for England's next test captain. That's no, not happen. no. Uh, ridiculous. Uh, so slightly less ridiculous, possibly, or maybe not. Is Sam uh, Billings? Is, uh, no, I was going to say Moan Alley. Obviously, he's jacked it all in, but captaincy credentials, Captain England, uh, 
still, I think, would add value to England's test team if they could convince him that it was worth his time doing. Uh, this is, this is a, taps into another thing, though. The, the, the primacy of the test game in, in this country. We've always assumed its superiority over everything else. But a lot of these names that we talk of will be thinking... Oh, I just might just turn my phone off for a few days. <laughs> I don't want to be hassled by anyone with an ECB email address. And yeah, Moeen, Moeen's served his time. You know, I mean, he would say thanks, but no thanks. If, he's, if he's we were to get out, to yeah. this this faintly absurd scenario where they say, yeah, how about it then? I just can't see it. I think, we've, it. I think we've named most really? people who yeah, we, first look, last Christmas. People are going to be listening to this thing, <laughs> wanting some kind of clarity. The truth of it is that it's impossible to give it's it. It's impossible yeah. because there, there isn't any and it would be arrogant in the extreme for anybody to say this is the answer mm. uh, with any authority or confidence. There's one name we actually no, okay. haven't mentioned this whole time, which is surprised we've managed to get through this far without saying... Well, Jimmy V. Yeah. <laughs> so, Phil, sorry, I think just to, to cap off the section, who do you think it will be for the first SSR man? Who would you like it to be? Like it, least hate it to be? Uh, Stokes and Stokes on balance... On the shoulders. Uh, yeah. Stokes and Stokes. I I think when everybody turns, all the big beasts turn on you and you make a decision like the Broad and Anderson thing and it backfires and he's already captain more times than any other anyone else and he's knackered clearly uh, and that record is trailed. I don't think I don't think he carries on. I think if there were one or two really, really big hitters still in his camp, then but my prediction for what it's worth is that uh, it will be Stokes. And I think on balance, therefore, it probably should be Stokes. That's where I am as well, I think, just about. And you? You think it's going to be Root, don't you? you I think, think it is going to be Root, yeah. I think, you root, root and Broad? Yeah, Root and Broad, I think. Uh, I mean, I, I think it's highly unlikely they'll go back to Broad after in, dropping in, him. But There is a part of me, in my heart of hearts, if it continues to be Joe Root, then I, I don't find that offensive or outrageous at all if it is root because there are a lot of mitigating circumstances around this um sure we've all been frustrated by the teams that he's picked it's been a kind of collective question mark against the the brains trust uh clearly there was so he, he played out all the classics in grenada uh the broad and anderson thing was a big call and it didn't work for him all of these things absolutely apply but he's also had the misfortune he's a very unlucky captain he's presided over a terrible period of of a talent dearth that seemingly seemingly kind of came out of nowhere and he's also lost his champion in archer wood broke down after the first test match just after he looked like he was he was really really cracking it they bring in ollie robinson who's done okay doesn't play another game three test matches can't get himself fit uh a number of these things press up against the, the point that Root is fundamentally a crap captain. Um, he, he also did, having had Saqib Mahmood in the squad, for, in and out of the squad for two years, decided to play Craig Overton ahead of him in the first test match. Yeah, that, again. That, you know, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> I, I know. They all say, though, all the people who have done it, and Cook, Strauss, Hussein, etc., they've all done it, and they've all staggered into a press conference in tears, broken, hunched, and shattered. And Root's done it for longer than any of them. And he has endured more difficult circumstances than any of them, arguably. Uh, 
certainly there's a lot of obstacles that he's had to overcome and he's run the thing with with great dignity and commitment and devotion um and class as a bloke as a figure uh but it felt like the end point Grenada and I don't think it's going to feel any different next week either I quite enjoyed uh just on the the captain's storming out thing uh reading about David Gowers uh was he off to see went to see anything goes anything goes that's it yeah um and uh having got a rough ride from the press back most of whom were former teammates basically saying like why did you bowl everyone from the wrong end was one of the questions I think uh, and then in that BT Sport interview was Gower sort of on the other end and was giving Root a reasonably tough time like he wasn't he wasn't letting Root sort of waffle on and sort of fill out the time basically like he was cutting him off before the end of his answer to ask the race sort of like an, all right now this thing kind of thing yeah. and uh, and there was a slight element of tetchiness and Root that that's the most shattered Joe Root has ever looked I think was uh, in that interview yeah he, just, he, the, the he pictures after that, that as well because he would have gone into Grenada thinking do you know what we've probably had just about the best of these two test matches yeah you know I sort of fancy it here um, and they got mayored mm. um, on West Indies Will asks did West Indies play a genius hand with their pitches yeah, yeah. it tricked England into thinking they're good at batting <laughs> amazing <laughs> Like that, that pitch for Barbados is, is is sort of a technological marvel. But uh, Carlos Brathwaite <laughs> sat in your chair, looks much better in it than you do, and said a couple of months ago, "This is our ashes. This is whenever England come over here. This is our biggest series. We try and raise our game for it. Everything builds towards that." Um, they they prepared two tough watch pitches, first two Test matches. I mean, I'd be a liar if I said I watched more than half of it, um, but. They played into their strengths, for sure. And then they gambled a little bit on that final test match. And, uh, and you know, it played out for them. They, they won the toss in that third, third test and, and took a, a big call. Uh, and, yeah, strategically, tactically, absolute masterclass, and, for sure. And, and obviously, uh, Mayers grabs a headline, headlines the ball. But, Ben, you kind of called before the third test match that, you know, West Indies do just have a much more threatening bowling attack than England have. And, and Kimar Roach, he's so skillful. And then Jaden Seals, one of the most talented young bowlers in the world. Joseph hits 90 miles per hour. It's, it's, a, it's a team that you can see getting 20 wickets. And it was a really smart pick bringing in Mayers for, for Pamul. Yeah, I mean, it is smart pick, but I, I, well, maybe they did think he had it in because he was brought on quite early as well. It's not as if they yeah. throw, he was throwing the ball off sort of like a 70 odd opening stand and then. He's and got then a good record with the ball in both first yeah. class and test cricket. And, 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 you know, I mean, and that's the thing, like on, on helpful pitches, a guy who hits the spot time and again and, and does a little bit is, is going to be tricky, hard to face, pretty hard to face. And you're, and you're also not going to be able to. I think Eng- some of England's players think they should be able to score quite quickly against a player like that. And when they find they can't, that sort of leads to some of the. Uh, some of the issues so yeah that, that was a brilliant pick and, and Josh De Silva played absolutely brilliantly he's and uh, I mean had played well in the series up to that point as well and I think I don't, don't think he'd been dismissed before getting to 30 um and uh, and he's really likable he's played some good hands with before but this was a real statement knock to be like this guy is you know he's properly in the team now uh it was fun I think it was on the first day he, he might have dropped a catch and you could hear him on the stump mic just saying like I am the worst wicketkeeper in the world uh, and then goes and plays things like that where he because at the end of day two when he was what just over 50 not out I think yeah the, I, I would have just about I think rather have been in England's position at that stage where he's leading by what just under 30 uh, two wickets in hand I think if you can get a team if you can keep the lead to under 50 and the, you know the other side has to bat last that is a position you would I think generally take uh, but Josh Silver just completely took the game away from him. I know, I know there were faults in having them bold and that sort of thing, but he... But he... I, I didn't like England's attitude on that 
second afternoon was it yeah second afternoon um firstly obviously tactically it was all over the show just just letting him have singles and so on clearly he wasn't going to play outside of his bubble and the ball had gone soft and pretty dead uh so they didn't squeeze him they didn't force him to play a shot but I also didn't like the the way that England was sort of playing around with it conducting themselves as well kind of you know a few sort of piss takey comments oh, he's playing for Reading career and they were all kind of chirpy as well um and it wasn't it didn't reflect great on them, I didn't think, really, because they weren't in charge of that game. They were letting it drift, but they'd have thought, "Oh well, now we've now we've kind of made our mark. You know, we'll we'll knock these last couple over. We'll get a lead of forty or fifty odd, and we'll go and win the game." And and what we've seen is that they don't have the right to feel like that, right? So they should have been a lot more uh, respectful of the situation, you know, and really thought about their plans rather than just kind of wait for two mistakes to happen. Well, I'm sorry. When you're playing against a cricket team that is that is absolutely desperate to perform, desperate. This is their this is their World Cup. This is this is their Ashes and all of that. They're not just going to kind of just whack one up in the air because you know well, quick game's a good game. I think that was a big part of how he got to his hundred was he he trusted the tail enders on this wicket. I, I back Roach and Seals to be solid in defence, and he was very happy. I think they paid paid six maidens in a row at one point he was just very happy he's like right yeah. when, when the runs are on offer I'll take them yeah. and he was very very selective in the moments he tapped one thing I do like about him he's probably the most leg side dominant player I've ever seen like, the, the balls that are like miles outside off stump that he's looking to flick to the leg side his wagon wheel was was quite interesting um, and it's a great moment as well when he got to his 100 yeah. um, he's 23 year old uh, from Trinidad and he was at the crease with his best mate in the West Indies side and Jaden Seals only 20 also from Trinidad and Seals kind of celebrated more than the Silver did and Silver was very emotional when he got there um, and then there was that bizarre review that took place next ball which was which was just quite funny when when De Silva reviewed it only because he realised there were three reviews left but still walked off the field before the decision sh- uh, the, the TV showed that he hadn't actually hit the ball had to come back um, but yeah. yeah I mean brilliant look, look, as well if you are if you're not feeling glum as an English fan on a Monday morning, then if you look at this dispassionately, this is this is a another rousing result for the world game. Um, yeah, I've spoken to respected heavy hitter English journalists in the past who have said to me, I can't see West Indies playing test cricket in five years, ten years. And they've said this for quite a long time now. Um, well, again, what we've seen is that the death of West Indies Test cricket is a, is a premature obituary yet again. Um, and in that respect, if you're waking up in Australia or in the subcontinent, then you're looking at that and thinking, well, that is a really rousing result for the game. And they are a batsman or two of class light of being a good side. But these players come through. Um, they do emerge. We hope that they play enough Red Bull games to be considered for that version of the game as well. Uh, but... As you say, they have a they have a kind of cohort of quicks that are interesting, and if you've got a couple of proper good quicks, and Jaden Seals is a potential star in the making, then you've always got a chance, you know. And you've got resourceful cricketers who clearly care, properly care about the badge. They're not playing this for any other reason other than the the, the age old values that the West that West Indies cricket has st- stood for, you know. And it was it was redolent of that to me watching this, and and I thought. Having the only ground on the t- on the tour that had significant local support was quite fitting as well. It had a really vibrant, energetic crowd on the final day to celebrate that win. I thought that was that was yeah. pretty special. Can I say two things? One, just on the on the pitches. Although although it did work out as a masterstroke, I I still feel like it wasn't actually deliberate, and that also it was the choice of the 
to cricket associations, the local cricket associations on the islands rather than of West Indies cricket to have those types of pitches for the first two games. You know, the Barbados Cricket Association, understandable, loads of English tourists out there want to maximise the revenue from that from that one test match. Um, but unless it was really sort of need to know thing, Kimar Roach did seem genuinely quite dissatisfied with that pitch uh, in that second test match. Um, so I, I, I don't think that was a deliberate sort of like a rope a dope strategy, letting them think they're better than us. And then no, uh, it, 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 no, but they adapted to what was in front of them yes, brilliantly. Yeah. And, and Brathwaite's, uh, yeah, five day long rope a dope was looking at it now in the context of the series. It was a magnificent effort. And just because it's a dead track, anyway, if, history's told you anything about cricket is that anyone can balls it up at any point any any time anyone can play a face a false shot anyone can have a brain fade he, in the he didn't for well. literally what 600 and something odd deliveries you know and, and 10 hours and more uh so yeah they adapted thought on their feet and played with great heart you know yeah, yeah and and i just wanted to say that to credit phil simmons as well um who uh is, obviously you mentioned the teams that West Indies have beaten in series recently, but there have been other, a few other promising results in as well. I think last time, do they draw against Pakistan and against Sri Lanka? There's one week again against Pakistan in there. Like, he has instilled sort of a real belief in this side, and he also has figured out how to sort of, like, navigate what can be quite a politically tricky job. And I think with, you know, because these aren't just... It's it's because it's not a team that represents one nation. You do have lots of competing interests that make it up, and because actually, as we see with that Barbados game, how economically important it is, it's not just about cricket. In cricket, it is like a thing that, you know politicians get involved in it's, it's there's huge proper politics in there as well on occasion and he is yeah, the managing the to PM that at the, on the moment, tea so. break on uh, on on day three yeah and yeah ralph ragnick as well yeah. <laughs> um we're not going to talk about it today but i just mentioned a couple of names uh, a couple of people who've thrown their hat in the ring for the next england um men's managing director role rob key and mark nicholas two of the more interesting ones in the last couple of days uh, i'm sure we'll have plenty of time to discuss that in the weeks ahead um, moving on, Pat Cummings led Australia to a thrilling final day win over Pakistan in Lahore to seal their first series win in Asia in 11 years. I spoke to Zaha earlier, who's out there for the series about Cummings, the rest of the bowling attack, what's next for both Australia and Pakistan, Kawaja's extraordinary run of form and the overall legacy of the series. Zaha, just how special was that performance from the Australia bowlers? Uh, eight for in the game for Pat Cummings. Stark four for in the first innings and five for line in the second. Uh, very special um, because it wasn't really about just one test match. Um, I think the Australians said it as well. This was like a 15-day test. This was how that series was. Uh, and on those pitches, um, you had to be relentless across the whole series. You had to be patient. You had to bowl with heart. Um, and the Australians did it. And they finally got their reward on the 15th day. Uh, they'd come so close in Karachi and just fallen short, basically. Uh, and so to pick themselves up and go again in Lahore uh, and keep going and 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 for the quicks doing what they did in Karachi, doing it again in Lahore, where they excelled with reverse and managed to you know induce another Pakistan collapse. That was special. Uh, and then when it came to the fifth day, it was about whether a spinner could finally stand up in the series because that series was not about spin bowling. In the end, it really wasn't. Um, across both sides, you you really did see much high quality spin bowling and and the pitches also didn't really allow for, I guess, you know, extravagant turn. Um, but Lyon came to the fore on the, on the final day. Um, he's, he's a bowler who I think deserves a bit more love and respect than he gets. Um, Australia have had, had a few fifth day struggles over the last couple of years, but Lyon is still 
Um, an exceptional performer. I thought he bowled well in, in Karachi as well. Um, and, and he delivered. Um, he found some footmarks. He finally found a pitch that was properly breaking up. Uh, and he, was, he just put it in the right area. He always gives it a lovely rip. Um, he changed his pace well. He found that beautiful dip that he always has. Uh, and he did his job, got five wickets, delivered the win. Uh, and Australia were just special throughout. I mean, we'll get to the batting, but yeah, their bowlers, their bowlers did the job in that, in that fifth test as well. Yeah, let, let's get to the batting. Usman Khawaja is having a, an extraordinary year. He hadn't played test cricket for three years. He, he still hasn't played 50 test matches yet. Made his debut over a decade ago. He's the standout batter in the world by an absolute mile in 2022. Uh, what's it been like watching him live? There's something weirdly comforting about watching Khawaja bat. Um, what's, what's been clear since he came back uh, at Sydney in that test where he got the twin sons is that he's just at complete ease with himself. He, he basically, you know, you know, his test career looked like it was over and he himself had said that, you know, if I don't play test cricket again, you know, I don't play test cricket. He seemed, he seemed, he seemed a man content and he's got this chance uh, and he's just playing how he would want to. And what's so great is that he's, you know, he's 35 now. He knows his game inside out. He knows his strengths. He knows his weaknesses. Uh, and watching him is, this, you just know what you're going to get. Mm. And, you know, as each innings went by in Pakistan, um, you know, you, you kind of stopped paying attention to the shots he was playing. You started paying attention to the scoreboard and, and the records and the stats he was breaking because there was just a comfort in it. You didn't really have to watch the innings. You knew exactly when you were going to get because you'd seen it a couple of innings before. Um, the way he would kind of, you know, he could get some runs off the new ball. He'd hold off against the reverse swinging ball. Um, and he had an immaculate technique against spin uh, and he nerdled the spinners with, with complete ease, uh, was brilliant on the sweep shot. Um, it was just, yeah, it was magnificent to really watch uh, a really high-class operator who, you know, had been away for the test game, away from the test game for too long, really. Uh, and it's good to see him get this chance and really take it. And he was just, he was dominant from start to finish. His lowest score was... And then beating 44. I mean, that is remarkable. Uh, he had luck. There were, there were drop chances uh, in, the, in, the, in his final innings. He was bowled off a no ball on 31. Um, but, you know, you kind of deserve that when you go and, and make a count afterwards. Uh, yeah, it, this, was, this was the Khawaja series. And of course, let's not also forget the kind of romance of it. Born in Pakistan, uh, coming back. And he was, you know, he was adored by the fans here. Uh, there was a moment, of course, his low point in the series would have been when he dropped a catch late in Karachi uh, and the crowd started ironically chanting Kawaja, Kawaja, Kawaja. Um, <laughs> but that was, that was the only, that was the only time he, he, you know, made a mistake in that series. He was, he was magnificent. How, how good is he? His, his record now is, uh, is exceptional. His average in test cricket, having nearly played 50 test matches, isn't that far off Warner's. Um, and in terms of kind of, big moments that impact the player's legacy, twin hundreds in an ashes and now being the standout batter in, in a huge overseas win for Australia. That was their first series win in, in Asia for over 10 years. 
Was it? Was there almost a thought? Where, where's it? Where's this been? I mean, Ricky Ponting gave, gave an interview with the Grey Cricketer um, a few months ago, where he said Usman Khawaja has been the best six batters Australia have had since he made his Test debut in January 2011. He should have basically played the entire way through. It, do, do you get that sense from having watched him bat for days and days in Pakistan? Yeah, it's, it's a it's a weird one to talk about. Um, Kawaja, just because of such a stop-start international career, but a weirdly stop-start one in that, you know, he's been in and out, and yet, you know, when he was last dropped, he's still someone who averaged 40, you know? <laughs> so it's, it's a, he's, it's an interesting international career in that, not only in Test cricket, by the way, in ODI cricket, if you look at his ODI record, it's a very excellent one, um, but he's been squeezed out by other players have done well. And, and when you try and see where he could have come in, it's also kind of difficult. And when he was last dropped from test cricket, I guess there was, there was, there was logic to, to why he'd been dropped. Uh, you remember that he, you know, um, Labuschagne came in and did so well and you can drop him. And then Steve Smith came back after he had had a concussion. Uh, and so I guess the only option was to either drop an opener or, or drop Kawaja. Uh, and I guess in hindsight, you probably should have should drop from the openers and, and kept Kawaja. So it's, it's, it's been a strange career and it's still hard to really sum up where he sits among the, among the, the great Australia batters of, that, that there have been. Um, but the, the, the exciting thing is that there's still, there's still room to see where this goes um, and that this, this is, you know, there is still maybe a couple of years to go here where we can really see Smokwaja have that kind of late career run. Um, that, that would be quite exciting to watch because he is such a lovely player to watch as well. What was the response like in Pakistan to defeat? Um, despite the result, there were some huge positives, I thought. The, the arrival of Abdullah Shafiq um, and a breakout performance from Naseem Shah in the Lahore test. I mean, everyone knows how exciting he has been. People are aware of the prospect that is Naseem Shah and he's had good moments as a test cricketer, but I thought this was something different. He, you know, arguably outbowled Shaheen there in, in law. Yeah, there were some, definitely some positives. I mean, if you look at the, you know, Shafiq coming in, doing excellent. Imam Al-Haq, obviously got 200 draw Pindi where the caveat will always be the pitch, but he's still got 200. So a new opening pair came in, did well. Most of the batters did all, all did pretty well, but from, apart from Fawad Alam, who, you know, had a real, had real struggles against like the, full swinging ball um, from both Stark uh, and Cummins. But yeah, most of them all averaged pretty well. I think the disappointing part for Pakistan was uh, the spinners, uh, Naman Ali and Sajid Khan. Um, just, they just, you, you never felt any sense of real jeopardy when spin was on. And to be fair, this was across both sides um, until basically the last day of the series. So it wasn't a series that we remembered for its spinners. And that's where I think Pakistan, we really, where they'll almost see an issue because those two guys are actually in domestic cricket, they've been the top performers. Uh, and so then when you're looking at who's the spin bowler that can come with Pakistan and perform on these pitches, and there is a, there, there are serious question marks there. So that's, that's their point of concern. The point you make about, about Nassim, um, you know, Shaheen is the star in Pakistan. Obviously when, when he comes on, you can sense it in the crowd that, this is Shaheen Afridi. This is our star. This is our, our key fast bowler. Uh, but Nassim, the way he bowled in that third test, he was the star. He, to kind of maintain that pace uh, throughout an innings on a slow, low bounce, uh, slow, low wicket, um, 
and to find the reverse that he did was very exciting. And his numbers don't look great right now after 10, 11 tests. Um, but I think the point still stands that he is a, a really exciting talent. And and what you kind of hope for uh, with, with, you know, with the pitchers in Pakistan is that they'll, they'll give him help with reverse, but you also want to see these quicks be able to, to have some help with the new ball as well, um, mm. because they are so special and they could be very special. What's next for Australia? Um, as I said earlier, it's their first win in Asia in a very long time. They've not played that much away test cricket recently. Uh, it's been hard to gauge where they're at as a side. Um, they've had their two defeats at home to India in recent times. They just haven't played that much test cricket, demolish England, but we know that doesn't really say a huge amount about where a team's at. What What is next and what, what do you think they can achieve under, under coming? Yeah, I think they are still a side that's kind of hard to gauge. One thing I will say, was what impressed me the most was to go from that Ashes series where everything is fast forward, everything was, the tempo was a different level, to go from that to then have the discipline of the subcontinent where you realise that this is not going to be like the Ashes. This is not going to be where you take five wickets in the first hour and you, you've basically won the game. Um, you had to be patient. Raul Pindi, they took four wickets across five days. That could have been incredibly disheartening. One of those was a run out, by the way. Um, but they kind of, they got over it pretty quickly um, and were excellent Karachi and excellent Lahore and they were just kind of relentless and patient and that extended beyond the bowling that extended with the batting as well I thought they were kind of disciplined especially in 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 Karachi when they bat for more than two days basically um, mm. um and what I do like about this Australian side is especially if you look at our top six um there is good there's a, there's a nice blend of um experience and youth where you've got Kwaji, Warner and Smith um uh, but then you've also got um Green uh, Labashane and Head um, and so three guys in their 20s three guys in the 30s um, but the, but look it's still hard to gauge because their next series will be Sri Lanka I think in July two tests um, and when you think about the subcontinent you think about the spin challenge and really they didn't really have a spin challenge here um, it was about navigating the, the Pakistan quicks with reverse and the spinners Noman and Sajid just they just didn't have that effect you would have thought and so they've still I, I, I'd expect the spinners to be, uh, you know, come into play more in Sri Lanka. Uh, and the other thing is that while Lyon bowled well in that final day, uh, they will still have question marks about their second spinner because Swepson, Swepson had a difficult series. He bowled well at times, uh, but there are times where he did really struggle. Um, they may be ranked number one in the world. And in Cummins, they have definitely the best, best test bowler in the world. This tall kind of, showcased it to me watching him live there um but i i don't you know it's still it still doesn't right to say that the, the, they're the best test side in the world this was their first away series since 2019 um they've still got a lot to prove uh and so it's still it's still a side that has you know still has points where they need to work things out um but it's got a side that's got a lot going for it in terms of like i said that blend of youth experience uh, the quicks they have, the quicks they have on the bench waiting to play as well. Uh, and then the all-rounder, Green, who batted brilliantly. Uh, his bowling stats might not look magnificent, but he offered a lot of control, uh, was able to reverse the ball with control as well. Uh, and he's going to be, he's going to be key in the subcontinent for, for, for to, to aid with the balance of the side as well. Mm, I guess most of 
yeah, I guess most ominously for everyone else, um, they won a series without Scott Boland getting on the park. So uh, beware Sri Lanka. And finally, Tar, just how, how was your time out there? What, what's, what's your message to people thinking about traveling to Pakistan to either play or watch cricket in the near future? Uh, it, was, it was an extraordinary experience. Um, uh, you know, for when, when, you know, when you met journalists who, who asked that you, you know, they'd asked me where I've come from. I've come from England. I mean, the, the kind of the way we were received, uh, not just myself, but all the visiting media, uh, I think a lot of people were, were taken aback because, um, you know, it means a lot. I know, I know this is the point that is kind of banged on about, about the return of tests, the return of international cricket to Pakistan and what it means. And when it's a message that's constantly repeated, it might sometimes lose its effectiveness. But it really does mean a lot. It means a lot to the people that, are, that were there watching. Uh, when I got the opportunity to go and talk to people who were, who had just come in and were watching the test match in the crowd, um, you know, they they banged home that point. This this means a lot to to be here and to watch a full strength Australia side. That that was the thing that that kept on coming back. This is a full strength Australia side that's come here. There, there were people here with, that were there to watch Cummins, uh, to watch Smith, to watch Warner. And those those players got a lot of love. They got a lot of a lot of respect from the crowd. And it was kind of it was an oddly wholesome series, um, like weirdly wholesome at times, where the players from both sides just seemed to get on really really well. And it was it was sweet to see. At times, it was a bit jarring. It was like, what's going on here, guys? You you better be right. You're supposed to be Australian. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but um, yeah, it was just yeah, it was a, uh, probably not you know, articulate that well, but it was an excellent experience and it, and it meant a lot when you were there at Karachi at the finish of what was just an incredible last couple of days and the, and the kind of the reception, uh, the Pakistanis got, you know, when, when, when Baba was walking off after he'd made 196, when Rizwan celebrated his century and, you know, the, the stands that were next to the press box that were full and chanting their names, um, it kind of dawned on me, you know, this is, you know these these people are getting to see this after such a long time. Uh, getting to see these these their their, their boys play uh, at home and watching them perform like that. Uh, it, it was um, it was very it was very stirring stuff. There was a thrilling end to the group stage of the Women's World Cup in New Zealand. India were playing South Africa and needed a win to secure qualification for the semi-finals. South Africa needed three off two. Minion Dupree was caught on the boundary off Deepthi Sharma, but it was a no ball and an incredibly marginal call as well, leaving South Africa needing two from two, which they did get off the last ball. So heartbreak for India, finalists in 2017, and without Hulan, Goswami threw injury, and their defeat meant that West Indies made the semi-finals, qualifying fourth place to play Australia. Elise Perry is an injury doubt for that semi-final. Um, England's run at the end of the group stage saw them qualify for the final four. They will play South Africa. England were in a bit of bother against Bangladesh um, before Sophia Dunkley hit 67 for number six. A really important knock, actually, especially considering that England were fielding quite a long tail with Catherine Brunt and number seven. There was another three for, for Sophie Eccleston and a three for, for Charlie Dean as well. Kat asks, if England beats South Africa in the semi-final, what magic touches do they need to draw out to beat probably Australia in the final. We're on the up and it feels tantalisingly possible. Thoughts? Um, I kind of feel that whoever gets to the final and will probably play Australia, one of those teams needs one of their big guns to 
have a day similar to what Harman Precourt did to Australia in 2017. Yeah, f- first of all, it's a big if. I mean, South Africa have been... Oh, they're South Africa favourites. Far, far yeah. superior to England in this tournament so far. And when you consider that's without their talismanic captain, Dene van Nico, that is a hugely impressive effort. Uh, England have, they have, I mean, you know, third place look, looks right in the end, but they have really stumbled their way to that uh, to that semi-final spot. And even, as you say, in that game against Bangladesh, that is not a team that was like suddenly purring. I mean, we should give credit to Bangladesh. You do have a, a very good bowling attack, but still that was not, you know, England roaring into the semis. Uh, but having said that, you know, Australia have been pushed close. They've kind of, even when they've been pushed close, they've kind of kept teams at just about arm's length in this tournament. They have been, well, their first game against England was a win by, was it 12 runs? And then they only squeaked home against Africa in the last over, even though that was like, sort of like a, a comfortable last over win if those things exist. Uh, but it's not as if they are completely unbeatable. England do have Sophie Eccleston, who is absolutely brilliant. Uh, you know, they've, they've got batters capable of making hundreds against that attack. Uh, they've got, you know, in, in Dunkley, a player who can take a total from good to very good. Uh, you know, uh, and South Africa, yeah, came as close as anyone to beating them. So, yeah, Australia obviously still massive favourites. But I think that even West Indies, with how they've got to the semi-finals and especially how they played in those first games, they'll now know because their, their, their tournament seemed like it was kind of done basically, and they, they needed that washout was against Africa to basically get in that last point, which sealed their spot. Um, they will, and seeing their reaction to that India thing, obviously anything will be happy to make the semis, but they'll have got a bit of a get out of jail free card and they'll think, okay, we just need to rouse that spirit for two more games, kind of as they did at the start of the tournament. And, you know, it's not beyond them either. Australia obviously massive favourites, but like there are dangerous players across all the teams. Absolutely. Um, the IPL has begun. We're three games into it at the time of recording. KKR beat CSK in the tournament opener. Delhi Capitals chased down 178 against Mumbai and then Punjab chased down 206 against RCB. Odin Smith on IPL debut whacked 25 of 8 of the death for Punjab to seal the game. He was also bowling yeah. at like 92 miles an hour. Really? He's, a, he's an absolute freak of a cricketer. Yeah, is a... yeah absolutely. Um, and finally, uh, Bangladesh thumped South Africa in the final game of that series to win. Uh, that 2-1, but also get some more crucial ODI World Cup Super League points in his bed and explain on last week's show, a bit of trouble for South Africa. Um, we actually do have one final question. Cam asks, what is cricket's equivalent to the Will Smith-Chris Rock moment? <laughs> oh. Uh, Simon Kasich sticking Michael Clark uh, up on the, on, on the hooks of the dressing room because he wouldn't sing the song and he had to get out. Um, giving him some grief. A couple of on-field things, wasn't there? Uh, was it hold, holding, kicking the stump out of the ground, I suppose, in terms of shock value, in terms of, like, is he actually going to, oh, he has done it, sort of yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah, nice. Um, Mark Islet and Robert Croft had a fight on the pitch. I think it was those two. I think it was those two. Essex's Mark Islet and Glamorgan's Robert, Robert Croft. I'm pretty sure it was those two. Uh, they, they had a... They had a tear up on the pitch. A bit different since we already mentioned him. Ramps, was it here, sort of with a shirt off, yelling at the crowd? Yeah, shirt off, hurling it round his head, running round the boundary after he'd been given a bit of grief. Uh, I, can't, I can't remember if it was here or maybe at Laws. I think it was against Middlesex for Surrey. Um, Marlon Samuels had a few of the few people, but probably the most famous is the Shane Warne one during the BBL, yeah. where, uh, where it was sort of like a, I think the live horns, like, oh, you're going to push more people, Marlon, sort of thing. Yeah. Well, well you've got you've got the, the Dennis Lilly, Jarvis Meander set too as well with that great photograph, Lilly being restrained and 
And Jarvid about to wrap his bat around his head. Yeah, you got uh, Mushvika like nearly punching or like threatening to punch his, his teammate. teammates. In yeah, the, that was great. In Bangladesh, that, that was that was pretty good. Um, in the man, uh, yeah. it, m- yeah. marched into the crowd. Uh, got loads. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, we, we got we got one question about Will Smith, and I was going to make a joke about the Durham captain and whether brilliant he could uh, he could do a job for England. Um, Excellent. Well, I think that is uh, all we've got time for on today's show. Cheers, Phil. Cheers, Ben. This has been the Wisdom Cricket Weekly podcast. Thanks for listening. We'll be back next week. Cheers. Podcast Network.